will open up our eyes to see that our ears will hear and our minds will comprehend the counsel of God, that the precepts of God will be unveiled unto us in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask for understanding. We ask for revelation knowledge. Lord, we ask that by your spirit you teach us. By your spirit you teach us tonight. Open up our hearts. Let every one of us leave this meeting, this Bible study with understanding. Thank you, our Father. For in Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Glory to God. Good evening, everybody, once again. Thank you for joining tonight's meeting. I believe strongly that God is going to bless us. God is going to teach us. Um, It's been a while we had Bible study. (laughs) And... um, as much as I was enjoying, of course, it was not a planned break. It was not a break that I planned, um, just for unforeseen circumstances. All right. But um, my heart was always with you guys, hoping that God would grant us the privilege and the grace to share fellowship with one another again. Because I count it a very great privilege to be able to teach God's word to be able to teach God's people's word. It's a very great privilege and I do not take it for granted. You know, I I am so I am so um, persuaded of the ministry that God has given me. You know, I'm so convinced about it and I magnify my office. I magnify my office. I do not take it lightly. You know, some may boast to be doctors. That is beautiful. If you are a doctor in the house, I celebrate you. You are doing a great job as a doctor. If not for you, there are many lifestyles that would have been lost. If you are a lawyer, I celebrate you. You are doing a great job. <laughs> you know, if you are a civil servant, I celebrate you. Whatever your vocation is, I celebrate you. And, um, I acknowledge the impact and value you are bringing to our society. And I believe strongly that you know, our society is better because you are giving, you are serving, you are doing your best to make the society better. But in all of this you are doing, I want to say that I magnify the office or the administration of being able to teach God's people. You know, I'm not saying that to be proud of something. I mean, if you search through scriptures, you will find out that. Paul will say, I magnify my office. I magnify myself as an apostle, as a teacher of the Gentiles, as a preacher of the gospel. You know, he, he wasn't saying that because he wanted to be proud and he wanted to, to devalue other people's vocation. He was just simply saying that because that is, you know, the, 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 the privilege of teaching people God's eternal word can only be quantified and qualified by the weight of eternity. You get what I'm saying? And like I always tell everybody who, are, who has been listening to me for, for a while, if I believe one of your vocation is to reveal Christ, all right? You have just you have just one thing that God has called you to do, to know Him, 
and to make him known. Basically, that's just that summarizes your entire your entire existence, your entire life as a believer. You are just you have been created to know God and to make him known, you know, to know Christ and to make him known. And so I'm I'm grateful that God is helping me, you know, using me to help you know God and help you reveal him. So I count it a great privilege. It's a privilege of grace and an election of grace. And I'm grateful for that. Alright, I'm just using start to wait for more people. Alright, I'm just using start to wait for more people. So that um, we can kick off. Um, so I missed everybody. And I'm grateful to God that you you're part of tonight's Bible study. So if you have not shared the link with your friends, don't be stingy. Share the link with them. Let them be part of tonight's Bible study. Okay. So tonight I'll be, I, I'll just be, you know, for the next few weeks, maybe three or four weeks or thereabouts, we'll be studying the subject of the Church of the Living God, the Ecclesia. That's what we'll be studying. And I, um, by the help of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, I've been able to break the teaching down into something systematic so that we can cover every aspect of God's thoughts and God's precepts concerning the church. All right. You know, for the fact that one of the things I've learned as a teacher of God's word is that for the fact that something is a revelation knowledge, doesn't mean it should not be systematic. Revelation doesn't mean jaga jaga, you know, just you know, saying different things in different, you know, in a lot of confusing ways. You know, revelation knowledge can be systematic. You know, if you are if you are a Bible student, you would have you know come across something like systematic theology. Systematic theology is just um the ability to analyze, the ability to to holistically explain a particular subject. All right. So, revelation knowledge can be systematic. Revelation knowledge should be systematic. When I mean systematic, it means it should follow a line by line, preset by preset approach, so that everybody, you know, can have an understanding, a simple understanding of that particular subject and that's what we're going to be doing with the teaching on the church of god amen glory be to jesus so this teaching is very is very um how i put this now this teaching is it's quite sensitive because if you are a believer you need to understand the church you need to understand the church All right you cannot understand christ fully if you don't understand the church fully, in fact, before you can adequately interact with Christ, you have to interact with the church. You have to, you know, you, you have to be solid in your understanding of the church. So a lot of people are struggling with their fellowship with Christ, are struggling with abiding in Christ, are struggling with knowing Christ because they neglect the aspect of knowing the church. Are you seeing that now? So it's it's highly impossible for you to know Christ without knowing the church. You have to know the church to be able to know Christ. You know, and I believe that as we as we further in this study, 
systematically, patiently, you know, concentrating and being focused, we are going to arrive at a at a rich understanding of what the Church of Christ is, so that by doing so we can come into a deeper revelation of the man Christ Jesus. Amen. Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 that will be our anchor scripture. Matthew chapter 16 verses 18. What I'm going to give to you tonight just going to be an introduction and the introduction will serve as as um, an overview of everything I'll be teaching for the next few weeks. Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. He said, And I also say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I also say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. This is probably one of the most popular scriptures that um, that most of us must have heard of, you know, as believers. Some of us have been believers for a long time. We must have heard diverse teachings concerning Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. So while I will not, I don't want to do a commentary on Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 yet. Maybe next week or you know, in two weeks time, I will do a proper commentary, you know, on Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. So I will skip that part today because I want to just give you an introduction. Because Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 is a very broad, you know, is a very broad verse. You know, it's a very broad verse. If we are going to do a proper in-depth study of Matthew chapter 16 verse 18, you will discover that we can spend the rest of the year studying it and then next year we'll still have to study it. <laughs> of course, that is true about many scriptures, but Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 is so deep and rich. So I will not do a commentary today or tonight. I will do it probably next week. But this is something I want to show you that Jesus, this is the first time the word Ecclesia or the word church, in quote, was mentioned in the scriptures. You know, and Jesus was the first person to use that word. He said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my ecclesia. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And not just that I will build it. I will build my church in such a way that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, when you look at that scripture, Jesus is saying that the church is mine. I'm the one building the church. And not just that I'm building the church. I'm building it. I'm building it in such a way that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. You know, there are many people that prophesy, and I'm going to start on that note, just to help your mind. There are many people that prophesy, and they say so many funny stories in the name of prophecy that Satan is defeating the church. <laughs> Satan is defeating the church. Let the church wake up. Satan is defeating us. We have to you know all those prophecy. Any prophecy you are prophesying that is not consistent with scripture, just know that it is not from the Lord. Because Jesus says that I will build my church. 
and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. It's as simple as that. So the church can never be defeated. No onslaught of darkness, no machinations of the devil, no operations of Satan, no demonic orchestration can bring the church of Christ down. It is highly impossible. It is an impossibility for the church to be defeated. And this will gladden your heart to understand that the church is a victorious entity. Jesus is the one building the church. Jesus cannot build something and Satan will defeat that thing or crumble that thing or demolish that thing. The powers of darkness cannot exert over the church of God. So if, in case you have been allowing people to feed you with different prophecies, you know, now I'm, I'm not saying that God cannot send a prophetic word to stir up the faith of the church, to stir up um, um, a victorious mindset in the church. I'm not saying God cannot send a prophetic word to warn us as a church. You know, when I'm in church, I, 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 I can, I'm talking about maybe different local assemblies and all of that. But for you to think that a time will ever come where the gates of hell, and by gates of hell, I'm talking about ideologies of darkness, machinations of Satan, demonic operations, you know, none of those things can ever, can ever come close to crumbling or defeating the church. Are you getting what I'm saying? I'm, I'm starting on that note, you know, because that would help some of us to, you know, to have a proper perspective of what the body of Christ is, of what the church is. So the church is a victorious entity. Hallelujah. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that I will build my church and the gates of hell, hallelujah, will not prevail against it. And I think that's something to rejoice about. That's something to give God glory about. Hallelujah. So, an introduction. The word ecclesia is um, a Greek word, obviously. And um, it is not a spiritual word. Alright. The word church is the, you know, is the same thing as ecclesia. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church. Alright. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church. So, the word church or ecclesia is not a spiritual word. It is actually a political word, a political word, right? Um, it connotes, you know, in ancient Greek societies, you know, like Athens, there are a set of people called the Ecclesia. The word Ecclesia means called out, all right? Called out. I hope you're paying attention. You know, somebody came to me one time, and the reason I'm doing all of this is so that you will not be unnecessarily spooky with words. Right? Somebody came one time and said, a musician is different from a mystery. That's what the person posted. If the person is online, I'm sure the person knows what I'm talking about. So the person posted it and said, a musician is different from a mystery. And I said, what is a musician? What is a mystery? It's just a confusing word. And the person said, hey, you know, when, when was it not Elisha that wanted to prophesy? He said, bring me a mystery. So he said a mystery is a spiritual. No, I said you are getting the other thing. A mystery simply means a musician. A musician is a mystery. By musician, in a layman's language, you are talking about instrumentalist. <clears throat> so a man that plays keyboard, that plays the guitar, that plays drums, you know, that plays, you know, the piano is a mystery, basically. That plays the violin is a mystery. Right. So what makes you um a spiritual musician 
is that you have the Holy Ghost, right? And and your fellowship with the Holy Ghost is what opens up the atmosphere when you play the keyboard, when you play the drums. So I just I try to explain that it is not the minstrel is not a is not a spiritual word from heaven. It's just it's 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 as simple as a musician. So that's the same word. Yeah, you know, it's the same thing. Yeah, ecclesia is not a spiritual word. The word church is not a spiritual word. It is actually a political word, and it is the ecclesia called out. So, in in ancient Greek, you know, like cities like Athens, they have a group of people called the ecclesia. So, what those group of people do is that um, they meet at the city gates. You know, they leave their homes and please, um. Be familiar with every word that I'm using because I'm going to touch them very soon. So this ecclesia, they leave their homes to meet at a designated place to deliberate about the affairs of the city. So this group of people have a legislative, they have legislative power. They have judicial and legis- legislative power. Please note these words that I'm using because we will come into them as we go through the study. So this ecclesia have both judicial and legislative power. So they are more like what you call a senate. In present day terms, they are what you call a senate or house of assembly. So the ecclesia simply means an assembly or congregation. Right? So in modern day terms, an ecclesia would mean like an, a, a house of assembly or senate and all of those things. So this group of people called the ecclesia, they leave their homes they meet at a designated position to perform deliberation concerning the city and they have what you call legislative and judicial power or authority as the case may be. And so when Jesus was saying that I will build my ecclesia, I will build my ecclesia, I will build my church. Are you getting what I'm saying? Their disciples they may not have fully understood, but they understood what an ecclesia is. Just like me saying, I will build my own house of senate. You know, if I say that in this present day time, you may not really understand the depth of what I'm trying to say, but in a way, you have an understanding of what house of senate will they do. Apart from Nigeria, house of senate, where all they do is, <laughs> so let me not talk about that. But you have an idea of what an house of senate, what they're all about. They come together, they make decisions, you know, that will affect the nation and all that. So when I say I'm building my own house of senate or I'm building my own house of assembly, you kind of comprehend what I'm saying, that I'm going to bring different people from different places and I'm going to put upon them authority, legislative authority, judicial authority, so that they may be able to exact my will in a certain territory. Please, are you following what I'm saying? And so Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And so when we look at um, the word church, the word church is not a building. It doesn't refer to a building. The word church refers to a people, a people that has been called out, a people that have been separated for certain purposes, for certain legislative purposes. Are you getting what I'm saying? Please, please pay attention. I know it's online and there might be distractions, but please, this... This thing will help you. This thing will revolutionize your 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 thoughts about what the church is. It will help you. And I'm going to try to be slow and steady tonight so you can pick every word because I'm going to be using my words carefully. 
Alright? So when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, the church doesn't refer to a building. The church refers to a people. A people that have legislative power. A people that have been called out of their homes, called out of their clan, called out of their tribe, called out of their community, and they have been called out to to form an ecclesia, to form a church, to form a people that will have legislative power, legislative authority. A legislative authority that will affect their communities, affect their nation, as the case may be. Are we get to what I'm saying? So, church is not about a building. Church is about a people, basically. Church is about the people. So when you when you say I'm going, when you wake up on Sunday morning and, and say I'm going to church, your mindset should not be a building. Your mindset should be the people. Are you following what I'm saying? Your mindset should be a people. You know, the average number that constitutes a church is two. Jesus says in the scripture and you know, in the gospel, he says where two or more are gathered. Are you with me, friends? Where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. So the the least number that qualifies to be a church is two. So when somebody says, you know, there's one revelation, one funny revelation that broke out, you know, I think a few years back. You see believers, you know. Let me tell you, if you're a student of the scripture, you understand that new creation realities does not support certain foolish statements. For example, some people will say, I am Christ. You are not Christ. In a sense, you are not Christ. Alright, you are not Christ. Christ, we know who Christ is. He's an office. You are not that Christ. Okay? You know, so some people broke out with that revelation and said, I am the church. No, you, you can't be the church. One person cannot be the church. The church is a people. So some people now said, eh, because I'm the church, I don't have to go to church. Alright? I'm the church, so I don't have to go to church. So a lot of people were not going to church again. They were not fellowshipping with other brethren because they believe that they are the church. They are the temple of God. And we're going to look at some of those things tonight. But in, in actual essence, you cannot be the church. Just the same way one person cannot form the house of senate. You just, you, you just imagine one senator saying, I am the, I am the house of senate. Then you know that he's a foolish person for him to have said it. Because when you talk about the house of senate, you are talking about a people, a congregation, an assembly. That's why you call it house of assembly. Are you get what I'm saying? So that's what the church is. So in present day time, when you think about church, always, you know, the idea of, you know, of church in scripture, just look at present day senate house. You know, I know Nigeria senate house may not be a very good, you know, way to, explain that but the idea of house of senate the idea of house of assembly you know is the idea of church so church is about a people church is about a people you are not the church one person cannot be the church at least two people form a church so if you have a church if you have a place where two people gather just two people gather you know you know they, they gather consistently they gather regularly you know, one thing you have to understand is that church, you know, the ecclesia meets regularly. They meet at regular intervals. They meet regularly. There's a regular meeting. Alright? So, if you have two people meeting regularly at a place consistently, you know, meeting regularly at a place, you have a church there. 
And that two people that are forming that church, they are as powerful as 10,000 people meeting in another place. You didn't get what I just said? So those two people meeting at a particular place regularly, they are as much of a church as 10,000 people meeting in a place. Jesus recognizes those two people that meet in a certain place, you know, he recognizes them as his church as much as he recognizes 10,000 people that meet in a certain place as his church. Are you get what I'm saying? So in God, you know, two is not great, um, 10,000 is not greater than two. <laughs> Are you get what I'm saying? According to God, when you come to God, numbers don't matter, you know. Just two apostles, Paul and Barnabas, enter the city and turn the city upside down. Just two of them, they were enough. Because when two of them entered that community, they entered as the church with, legis- with the legislative power of heaven to enact the will of God in that city. So two of them were enough. Two of them were enough. Are you getting what I'm saying? Two of them were enough. So when they entered that city, they entered with the power of God. They entered with the legislative power of heaven. They entered with the victory of Christ. Are you getting what I'm saying? Glory be to God. And so you see that Jesus, when he was going to send his disciples how to preach, he sent them in twos. You know, he was trying to describe the idea of church, the idea that the church is powerful. Because like I said, at least two people form a church. So one person cannot say, I'm the church. No, only you cannot be the church. So the church will pass, you know, to a people, not just a building. Are you get what I'm saying? In New Testament definition, Hallelujah. I hope you can all hear me. In New Testament definition, the church refers to all the believers across the nations of the world. All the believers, everybody who have placed their faith in Christ and have received the Holy Spirit. Glory be to God. Let me say that again. In New Testament definition, in the New Testament reality, I've described political definition. In New Testament definition, I hope you attention, friends. In New Testament definition, New Testament reality, when you say the church of Christ, when you say the church of the living God, you are talking about all the believers in the whole world. Everybody who have placed their faith in Christ for salvation and have received the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So, the church refers to believers. You know, I told you, I said the church is not the building. The church is the is the people. The church is a people, not a building. Alright, so when you talk about the church of the living God, don't, don't think about a building. The church of the living God describes everybody who have believed in Christ Jesus for salvation, who have been washed by his blood, and who have received, hallelujah, who have received the precious gift of heaven, which is the Holy Ghost. This will lead me to say, that you are not a member of the church because you attend church. You are a member of the church because you are born again. Uh, you get what I'm saying? 
There are many people who are attending church but are not members of the church. They are not part of the church. They are not part of the church. Because what qualifies you to be part of the church is not that you are attending church. What qualifies you to be part of the church is that you have believed the gospel. You have believed in Christ Jesus for salvation. You have been washed by the blood of Jesus. And you have received the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. You have received the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So that means that the Holy Spirit in you, are we paying attention friends? The Holy Spirit in you is what qualifies you to be a member of the church. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit in you is what qualifies you to be a member of the church. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God is not a member of the church of God. Are we paying attention, friends? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Please, I'm, I'm going to take this slow. We have time. I'm sure I'm going to finish all my thoughts tonight in good time. So please just follow the teaching. Pay attention. Because it's very important that we grasp this. Because when you are, when you are telling somebody to be coming to church, as far as the person, you know, I've preached to people, you know, maybe on personal evangelism, and the person will say, eh, I'm a child of God now, and, and you and you ask the person, why are you a child of God? You say, because I attend church. That you attend church doesn't mean you are a child of God, number one. That you attend church doesn't mean that you are a member of the church. That you are part and parcel of the church. And, and this is why I'm trying to explain it because you'll be shocked at the thousands, what am I saying? At the billions of people across the nations of the earth who think they are part of the church because they attend church. No. You don't become a part of the church because you just attend the church. You become a part, and don't, forget, don't get what I'm saying wrong. Attending church is important. If you're a member of the church, indeed, you should attend church. I get what I'm saying. But this is what I'm trying to say. You don't say, I'm a member of the church because you're attending church. You are a member of the church when you are born again, when you are born of the Spirit. So let's look at um, 1 Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at a very simple scripture that will help me explain what I'm trying to say. Glory to God. Father, we thank you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 12, he says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of the body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. 13, For in one spirit, everybody say in one spirit, For in one spirit, we are we all baptized into one body. That one body is the church. I'm going to, I'm going to teach that too later. For in one spirit, we are we all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether born or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit, my God. You see, there is no greater fraternity than the body of Christ. There's no greater. We have been made. You see, let me tell you something. When you look at different courts, like you know, okay, in Nigeria, in Nigeria, you know, occultic groups like Aye, Aye, Bukania, and all of this. Some of you that went to you know, I've been to university or that are in universities I'm familiar with these statements. If you are listening to me out of the country, I'm not a Nigerian. Um, all those names I mentioned are names of different occultic groups right, that are existent in most universities, you know, 
and all of that in, in some societies. So all of those occultic groups, they don't have a strong fraternity as the church of the living God has. I'm going to explain why. Because every occultic group has different spirits. Not my words, have different spirits that manage them. For example, a different spirit is at work. A different demon is at work in the occultic group called Aye, for instance. A different occultic group, uh, a different demonic spirit is at work in the occultic group called a you get what I'm saying? A different demonic spirit. You see, so they have you get what I'm saying, they have different spirits. But the church of the living God, my God, is managed by one spirit, the Holy Ghost. And every member of the body of Christ, every member of the church of the living God, across the nations of the earth, have only one spirit at work in them. And by that same one spirit at work in them, in all of us, we are all connected. It is the Holy Ghost in every one of us that makes us member of the body of Christ. The Holy Ghost in all of us. You see, the Holy Ghost in me is not different from the Holy Ghost in another believer. And, and that is why a division in the body of Christ doesn't just make any sense. Because if you are attending a denomination, you are not different from another person that is attending another denomination. I get what I'm saying. You know, of course, for example, you know, I used to have a friend when I was serving. She, there was a particular guy that, you know, I'm using this because this is a very sensitive issue. She attends a particular denomination. I won't mention the denominations for sake of she attends glory to God she attends a particular denomination and this other guy that she is in love with attends another denomination and then she, she would talk to me and say I love this guy we love ourselves so much he's a good person he's the kind of guy I would love to marry but I can't just marry him and I'll be like why? She said, because he attends another church, is of another denomination. So she said, I can't imagine myself marrying him and attending his church. And of course, if we get married, he also won't want to attend my church. And that really made me feel so worried. And I felt so bad that we are all of the same father. We have one spirit at work in us, but denomination, you know, I'm not saying denomination is bad. Denomination is good because all of us can attend the same church. But I'm talking about the spirit called denominationalism. That thing that separates us, schism, divisions. That thing that makes you different from another believer. Okay. That thing that makes, that, that thing that makes you, um, see another believer as different from you. God must deliver us from those things. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm doing this teaching. Because some of us believe that God is only interested in our own denomination. You see, when you have proper revelation of the man Christ Jesus, you will discover that in Christ Jesus there are no denominations. God doesn't see RCCG, He doesn't see winners, He doesn't see C and Hess, He doesn't see all of those things. All He sees is one body. Why? Because every member of that body has one spirit at work in them. Are you getting what I'm saying? So I'm saying all of that to say that we are all of one body because we have one spirit at work in us. And by that same spirit, we have been immersed. We have been baptized, my God, into one body. 
which is the church of the living God. So, when you meet a Chinese brother who is a believer, when you shake it in his hands, you must understand that even though he's a Chinese man and you're an African, you are brothers. Brothers, bound by one spirit, connected by one blood. If you have understood, let me just do a little exposition on how occultic people think. And they learnt that because, you know, Satan doesn't have a wisdom of his own. Everything he learnt or he knows, you know, is the perversion of the things that are in God. In may, many occultic groups, you cannot betray your brother. How you, get, you, you can't betray, you can't, you can't plan evil against your brother. You know why? Because at your initiation, you are made to drink of one blood. Are you getting what I'm saying? I'm sure some of you have watched movies where they want to initiate people into a group, you know, and so they they pierce the they can pierce the skin of everybody in the group so that their blood can drop in a calabash or something, and then they make the person who is to be initiated to drink, you know, as he's drinking that blood, he has been baptized and immersed into the reality of the fact that. He is connected to everybody in that home. He is connected to everybody in that room. He is connected to everybody. Irrespective of who they are. Irrespective of their background. Irrespective of their tribe. He is connected to them. And because he is connected to them, he is bound by the principle of loyalty. He is bound by the principle of faithfulness. He is bound by the principle of love. Are you getting what I'm saying? Praise be the name of the Lord. And so when you look at that reality, you will understand that as believers, glory to God, we have been made to drink. That's what Paul was trying to explain. Let's look at that scripture again. You know, he says, For in one spirit where we are baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, so it doesn't matter who you are. You are Igbo, Yoruba, you are, you know, I want to delete some mindset in your mind. That thing that makes you feel you can't, you can't marry somebody, you know, is a believer but is evil. That thing, God must delete it from your heart. I can't do business with him. He's a believer but he's Yoruba and me, I'm evil, so I can't do it. That thing is because you don't understand the principle of the church. The principle of the church says that when you are born again, you lose your, not just that, let, let me put this way. You don't really lose your natural identity in, in terms of, you know, how do I put this so you can understand? You are still, you know, your father's daughter or your mother's son or whatever. In other sense, in that sense, basically. But actually, you are not of that order anymore. You have been translated. You have been brought into a new order. And so, you are, there's no Jew nor Greek in the body of Christ. There's no Jew, there's no Igbo, there's no European, there's no Hausa, there's no Chinese, there's no, there's no Caucasian. Are you getting what I'm saying? Everybody has been made to drink into one spirit. So he says, for in one spirit where we all baptize into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether bond or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. Are you getting what I'm saying now? We have been made, all of us have been made to drink of one spirit. One spirit binds us all. One blood connects every one of us. 
Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I said all of that to say that what qualifies you to be a member of the church is not just, is not just church attendance. Hallelujah. What qualifies you to be a member of the church is that you have been baptized into the body, into the church by the Spirit. You have received the Holy Ghost. If you have the Holy Ghost in you, the Spirit of Christ in you, you are a member of the church. Hallelujah. Secondly, the church of Christ began after the death and resurrection of Christ. So that would mean that before the death of Christ, there was nothing like the church of the living God. Although symbolically, you know, allegorically, the Israelites were a typology of the church of the living God. All right, they were a typology. But in actual essence, the church of the living God started after the death of Christ and after the resurrection of Christ. The advent of the church began in Acts chapter 2 when you know, 120 disciples of Christ were in, in the upper room, you know, waiting for the promise of the Father and all of that. And then the Bible says that they were all, you know, baptized with the Holy Ghost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That was when the church began. I get what I'm saying. So the church began, you know, in Acts chapter 2. Until Acts chapter 2, we have nothing like the church. I get what I'm saying. So that would help you to understand that it was when the Holy Ghost came that the church began. When the Holy Ghost came, the church began. So that simply means it is the Holy Ghost that brought into being the reality of the church of the living God. So that connects back to what I was trying to say. That you are a member of the church when you have the Holy Ghost resident on the inside of you. And guess what? If you have believed the gospel, if you have received the Lord Jesus as a savior, all right, you have received the Holy Ghost. And not just that, you have now been made to become a member of the church of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So let me run because of time. I'm going to show you briefly the different metaphors of church in scripture. The different metaphors of church in scripture. So that anytime you come across any of these words in scripture, in the Bible, you are able to identify that the Bible is talking about the church of the living God. Number one, number one metaphor that the Bible uses in describing the church of the living God is Number one, the church is always, is often described as God's household or God's family. God's household or God's family. Look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two. We're going to open quite a number of scripture. Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. Hallelujah. I'm just trying to do an introduction today so that we can ride from next week. Ephesians, let me read from verse 18, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18, For through him we both have our access in one spirit unto the Father. You know, we both there is describing Jew and Greek, you know, Jews and Greek, alright? Jew and Gentiles, basically. Sorry, not Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile, alright? So, for through him we both have our access in one spirit unto the Father. 
Verse 19. So then ye are no more strangers and sojourners, but ye are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Are you seeing that now? So, what Paul is describing here is the church. So in verse 18, he says, both the Jew and the Gentile, you know, have access to the Father by one spirit. So you see what I was saying when I was saying that it is the spirit of God that makes us members of the church. Alright. So Paul was saying that both Jews and Gentiles have access to the Father by one spirit. Hallelujah. So because we all have access by the spirit to the Father, verse 19 now says, we are no more strangers as sojourners. But what are we? We are fellow citizens with the saints. And not just that, we are of the household of God. The word household there means family. Hallelujah. We 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 are members of the family of God. And so, this metaphor, household of God, is a description, is a metaphor of the church. So, the church is the household of God. The church is the family of God. So, that is why it is always good that you see every other believer as your brethren, as your brother, as your sister. Hallelujah. So, the church is the only family where, you know, you can call somebody who you have never met before. Your brother. You have never met this person. You just meet somebody at the airport and you discover that this person is a brother. You know, both of you are trying to fly out of the country. You discover that he's a brother. You don't know, you don't know him from anywhere. But he's a believer. And suddenly you realize that he's a believer. There's something in you connects to him. And in your heart, from the depth of your heart, with all sincerity and truth, you can say, this is my brother. This is my sister. Hallelujah. So, the church, and don't forget I told you that the church describes the people. The church is not a building, it is the people. So, because the church is the people, every member of the church is a member of the family of God. We all are members of the household and family of God. You know, we just put out we just put out uh, an ebook, and I want to take this time to appreciate um, some of our dear sisters, you know, that worked on transcribing the book and working on it, editing it, and transcribing it to make it an ebook. So if you have not, if you have not um, downloaded your own copy of of um, Fatherhood of God, somebody will post the link in the chat section so that you can click on it and download it. It's free of charge. Right, because the gospel is free, and we are trying our best to make it free. But in that book, at the latter, at the um, um, the book is about the fatherhood of God, and I think at the last um, um, part of the book, I began to talk about in the teaching actually, I began to talk about um, the fact that God doesn't want you to walk alone. When you get born again, the next thing that God is thinking is immersing you into that family. Bible says God set the solitary in families. God set the solitary in families. You have to understand that the church is a family. When you are going to, to church on a Sunday morning, understand that you are going to family. You are going to your family. You are going to a place called family. Hallelujah. The church is a family. You have brothers and sisters. You have brothers and sisters across the nations of the earth. And you see, this thing operates in such a powerful way that if you don't understand it, there's a level of 
you know, of intercession that you may not walk in. For example, God can just tell your heart to pray. And somewhere in your heart as you're praying, you know you are praying for somebody you don't know. You are praying for another believer in another country. That's how powerful this issue of the church of God being a family is. God, because you see, we all have the same spirit in us. So sometimes a brother can be in Jamaica. He's a believer, but he's in trouble. And he can't pray for himself at that time. Then God, you that are in Africa, Nigeria, Lagos State, God can steer your heart as you were praying in the morning, just fellowship with God. God can just steer your heart and pray. And I'm praying for him. There are times I'm praying, and I'm just, this happened to me a couple of times. Not all the time, but it has happened to me, I think, two or three times. I'm just praying, just praying in tongues, and suddenly I see a flash vision, you know, of somebody in danger. And I just begin to pray. I don't know the person. I'm sure it's somebody I don't know that I may never see for the rest of my life. But that doesn't matter because we are all of one household. We are all of one family. And so the Spirit of God in me is stirring me up to pray for my brother. Hallelujah. So the church of God is God's family. is God's household. And so you see it's very foolish for you to be, to hate a member of the body. Just the same way you don't hate your biological brothers and sisters and all of that. It's the same way you, you're not supposed to hate another believer. You're not supposed to backstab, you know, backlash, speak evil of another brother. Because if you have this concept of family in your heart it arranges your heart there's a way you begin to see church there's a way you begin to see other believers hallelujah you begin to see other believers in other denominations as part of your family they are part of you are you getting what i'm saying there are some people that will never relate you see you can have knowledge than another believer it doesn't make you better so most people have the habit of flaunting their knowledge just because you just have small revelation and small, small insight into scripture. You suddenly feel you are better than those who don't have it. But God doesn't want you to be like that. When God blesses you with knowledge, it is so that you can help your brothers with patience and humility in your heart. You help them. Just the same way if God blesses you, the most natural thing you want to do is to also help you unless you are a wicked person. The most natural thing you want to do is to help your biological, you know, biological siblings. You want to help them. You don't want to see them suffer. That is the same way when God blesses you with something, blesses you with resources, blesses you with revelation, blesses you with anointing. You must consistently understand that that thing has been given so you can benefit the family, so you can help your brothers. And so you are not better than any other believer out there. You are not better. You we all are of the same family. Hallelujah. This, this helps you to understand how God thinks. You know, there was a time some years back I was praying, you know, and I was just having this burden. More like the Holy Ghost was just impressing an outcry in my heart. And what was the outcry? God was simply impressing my heart that I, don't, I want my children to see themselves as one. And that word stuck in my heart. I think I wrote it in my journal. That would be 2018. Or 2019 or thereabout. That word I will not forget. More like the Holy Ghost, because sometimes when you pray in the Holy Ghost and you fellowship with the Holy Ghost, He, he, he talks to you. He shares the burden of His heart with you. And that was more like what was happening that day. And you know, I began to see in that scene that God hates division. 
God hates it when as children of God we are fighting ourselves. You know, you feel you are better than this person. You feel this, you know. And that's why I tell people, I can, I can worship God in any denomination. I may not be cool with their practices. I may not be cool with um, some of, I may not agree with their doctrine. I may not agree with their practices. I may not agree with certain things. But I can fellowship with them. You know, I, from the, from, from, as far back as eight, nine years ago, I have always had this mindset that I can marry anybody in any denomination. This is just me. You, you may decide to not marry any, you know, and I know that there are other, you know, there are lots of arguments about it, you know, but this is just what I think. As long as the person is willing to, you know, <laughs> let me not talk about all of this one, man. This is not, but this is just my belief. Why? Because I just believe that as long as this person is a believer, this person has the Spirit of God, this person wants to know the Lord Jesus, this person is part and parcel of the family, I believe that this person, I can marry this person. I can flow with this person. I can be friends with this person. I can walk with this person. I can do business with this person. You know, because God must remove that mentality that we are different because we attend different churches. No, the different churches we attend is just because one church cannot sit all of us. If, if we only had one church in Nigeria, we, we, we all would not have a place to worship on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings and other days of the week. So it, it's good that we have different denominations so that everybody can be part of different local assemblies. I get what I'm saying. But ultimately, we all are of one family. We are of one household, the household of God. And so Paul is saying here that we all have one access to one father. You see, God is that much... Is that, is that much your father to those who, to those of you who are attending RCCG, for instance, as much as he is father to those that attend deeper life. He is father to him. We are all his children and we all have access to him. That's the most, so don't think that you are the only one that have access to God because you have some level of revelation and some level of enlightenment into the things of God. No, everybody who is a member of the church has one access to God because he is our father. And we have access to him by one spirit. And no one is a stranger anymore. We all are now members of the household of God. Hallelujah. So, one of the metaphors for the church of the living God in scripture is the household of God or the family of God. Number two, another metaphor for the church of God in scripture is God's flock or the flock of God. God's flock or the flock of God. So whenever you see the flock of God or God's flock in scripture, they are talking about the church, not something different. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Hallelujah. In the Bible study, so we are going to open lots of scriptures. And this is just introduction I'm just doing, just, you know, to give us some Hallelujah. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. It says, Take it unto yourself. This is Paul when he was about to leave Ephesus. So he was talking to the pastors or elders. You know, elders, when you see elders in scripture, he's not talking about old people. I know that in present day, you know, in different, in many denominations, when you hear elder, they're talking about somebody who is old, you know, elder, elder something. You know. But in actual biblical definition, an elder is pastor. An overseer. 
alright, of the church. So Paul is talking to the church, to the pastors of the church in Ephesus, and then he's giving them a warning. He says, take it unto yourself and to all the flock. To all the flock, he's talking about the local assembly, the church of God, you know, that has been commissioned to them, in which the Holy Spirit hath made you bishops to feed the church of the Lord. You see that now? So he uses that word again, to feed the church of the Lord. So the church of the Lord is the same thing as all the flock. You see that now? Which he purchased with his own blood. 29, it says, I know that after my departing, grievous woe shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So when you look at flock in scripture, you are also talking about um, the church of God. Um, let's look at um, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Glory be to God. Chapter 1. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. It says, The elders therefore among you are exhorted, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, who am also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Two, tend the flock of God. So that flock of God also means the church that has been assigned to these pastors, right? The flock of God, which is among you, exercising the oversight, not of constraint, but willingly, according to the will of God, not nor yet for future local, but of a ready mind, neither as lording it over the over the chart allotted to you, but making yourselves in samples to the flock. So it's still the same word used here. The flock of God describes the church. All right, and this will help you to understand something that, as believers, we are sheep. All right. And we are whole in one flock. And this is what I want you to understand. God will not deal with you, you know, outside, how do I put this word now? Outside the investment is putting into the flock. How do I explain this? Just the same way, when you see a sheep alone, that sheep is going to suffer so many things because it is not in the flock. So you see, most shepherds, they, all they do, they do it within the the confines of the flock. Are you getting what, you getting what I'm trying to present to you? And so you have to understand that you have to be in the flock for you to receive the investments of God. All this, I can know God for myself. I can know God for myself. It's a demonic, it's a demonic doctrine. You can't know God for yourself. Look at all this scripture that I'm putting to you now. Acts chapter 20 verse 28, 1 chapter 5 verse 1. Paul and Peter are talking to pastors and they are telling them that their administration is always in the confines of the flock. So if you are not in the flock, you are not, you are not, you are not um, enjoying God's placement for you in the flock, you are going to miss out of many investment that God is bringing to the flock. So you have got to be part of the flock. Bible talks about, you know, in the parable, Jesus was giving a parable and said, a sheep got lost. You know, and what did the shepherd do? He kept the 99 and went in search for that one sheep and brought him back into the flock. Because he has to be in the flock to survive. The sheep has to be in the flock to survive the attacks. Many believers are under attack because they are not standing firm in the flock that God has placed them. I tell people, you have to be part of a local assembly. Let me break this down. The church of the living God is also your local assembly. Of course, the church of the living God is broader. The church is broader than a local assembly. All right? But because God wants you to partake 
of the investment of the Spirit, He puts you in a local assembly, gives you a pastor, brings you into a believer's community like this, so you can be fed. So when you see people who don't like to be part of believer's community, you know, in the name of church art, I've been art too much in church, so, so I don't want to be part of the church again. You are cheating yourself. Because all that a shepherd will do, he does it within the reality of his flock. Are you getting what I'm saying? So the flock of God is also your local assembly of the church of God as the case may be. And I'm saying this just to help you to understand that just the same way as a sheep, you, you know, you need the help of the shepherd. But you must understand that a shepherd cannot help you unless you are abiding in the flock unless you are part of the flock and so when you see a believer isolating himself you need to help him quickly you need to you need to help him because you see all the investments of god are going to be made available for you within the confines of the christian community within the confines of the flock of god so there's nothing like i can know god on my own i can know god for myself praise god so more metaphor for the flock of God for the church of God is also God's flock. Number three, another metaphor for the church of God is the body of Christ. And all of these things I'm talking, all of these metaphors have a deeper meaning. It's just that because of time, I can't go into them. But that, that I'm trying to explain. You know, as a family of God, there's a meaning to it. And the meaning is that everybody is your brother. We are all children of God. We are not better than any person. You don't have more, you don't have more privileges than another person. Right. You might you might have been able to assess your home more than the other person, but it doesn't make you better. All right, praise God. That's the idea that God's family is bringing to us. The idea of God's flock is to help you see that you can't be properly fed, you can't be properly nurtured, you can't assess green pastures in God outside of the flock. So you have to be in the flock to assess the investment of God. So when you are you alienate yourself, you separate yourself from the church of God, you are going to starve. You are going to starve. There will be starvation. You, you, you will die of spirit. And the spiritual hunger is not hunger for Jesus. It's that you are being starved of, of, of pasture. You are being starved of spiritual investment and spiritual nourishment. The idea of the body of Christ, look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. When you see the body of Christ, he's also talking about the church, alright? Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 1. I believe this is simple enough for everybody listening to me to understand. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. He says, and is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So Jesus Christ is the head of the body, and the body is the church. That's what Colossians is saying. Colossians 1 is saying that Christ is the head, the church is his body. So the body of Christ is referring to the church. Hallelujah. So the idea of this body of Christ thing is to help you see that you have a part to play. In the, func- in the functional realities of the church, just the same way you have different, I think First Corinthians chapter 12 explains it better, but I won't go to it because of time. Just the same way the body has different members. By members, I mean parts. You have your ears, you have your eyes, you know, you have your, your hands, you have the fingers, you have the nails, you have the toes, you have the legs, you know. There are different parts. You have other, you know, 
invisible part like your intestines, your all of those things, that, your lungs, they're also part of your body. And so Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 described that the church is full of different members and every member has a peculiar part to play in the function of the body. In the proper functioning of the body. I get what I'm saying. So, if you are not playing your part properly, the body of Christ will lack, will have certain inabilities. I get what I'm saying. When you don't play your part, just imagine that your, your one part of your ear is not working well. Of course, the body will get along. But, in a way, you are still going to be handicapped. Because when somebody is calling you from that you know, maybe your, your right ear is not functioning properly, God forbid. When somebody calls you from your right hand side, you won't hear properly. I get what I'm saying. So, the idea of the body of Christ is that the church is full of different members playing different roles for the proper functioning of the church. So, you see, you must understand that from the day you got born again and you became a member of the church, you have a definite and important role to play. For instance, let me use you know, our community, the essence, for instance. I preached a message, a series of messages on the fatherhood of God. One of our sisters took it upon us, herself to transcribe the messages, to painstakingly transcribe. You know, I've transcribed messages before, and I know it's a difficult task. But she painstakingly transcribed the, you see that now? The messages. Listen to them, transcribe them. Another sister edited them. Are you getting what I'm saying? So I can do all of the whole work, but everybody is playing their part. Another sister will lead worship in our meetings. Another brother will be in charge of the sound. Another brother will do, will, would, um, will manage our social media account so that what we are doing here can reach to many more people. Another brother will be in charge of editing and, and, you know, editing the sounds you know, I'm putting them on our social media platform so that people who, are, who were not in the meeting or didn't join online can listen to the messages. Some other person would give financially because we also need money to run the, com- the community and some of our projects. Somebody else will do this and that. So everybody has a role to play. And so when the ensign, for instance, is blessing people, it's not just because of what I'm doing. I'm also just playing my own role. So my role is not the most important, even though it is very important, but it is not the most important. As little as you editing a message, it is very important. Just imagine I'm the only one editing message, I'm the only one in charge of sound, I will just die. I get what I'm saying. So everybody is playing a role. Just the same way every part, there's no part of your body that is useless. No part of your body that is useless. Even your, they call it your ear lobes, right? Even this, your ear lobes that, um, that you feel is useless because medically it doesn't really have any part is playing. But there's possibility that you go get eye problems, maybe short-sightedness or long-sightedness. God knows there's possibility. So God gave you ear lobes so that when you wear glasses, your glasses will have a place to hang. That's why you're, so every part of your body is useful. So when you have this mindset, you will not have a parasitic character to it. Because some people, all they come to church for is to come and take. I just want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. So they go to church on Monday morning, go to meetings just because they want to be blessed. They are not thinking of what can I give? What can I do? What, what part can I play? 
What can I do to make this church, to make you know, the body of Christ you know, prop, properly function? So the body of Christ, you all have a part to play. As from the day you became born again, you received the Holy Spirit, you became a member of the church, and from that day, you have a role to play. You have to find it. And you will never find it if you are not willing to serve. You must have the heart of service. You must have the heart to serve. In your local assembly, look for what you can do so that the church can grow. You are in the answer. Look for something you can do. Because, like I said, the, the church could also mean your local assembly. Although the church has a broader meaning than just your local assembly. But God knows you can't. You can't. If you say I'm a member of the body of Christ all over the world, are you are you going to are you going to be meeting with every believer in the whole world? It's not possible. So God puts you in a local assembly. God puts you in a believer's community so that you can grow there, you can know him there, you can be part of the flock there, and so that you can play your part also as a member of the body. So you have something to give. Hallelujah. That's the idea of the body of Christ. Every member Every part of the body is functioning, doing one thing or the other. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Did we get that? Number four. Another metaphor for the body, for the church of God is the bride of Christ. When you hear the bride of Christ in scripture, you are also talking about the church of God. Look at Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 7 to 9. Revelation chapter 19 from verse 7 to 9. He says, Revelation 19 from 7 to 9. He says, Let us rejoice and be exceedingly glad, and let us give the glory unto him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath been hath made herself ready. Okay, has made herself ready, and it was given unto her that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. Verse 9. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they that are bidding to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are true words of God. Right, I think I'm using ASV. Let's try KJV. Because KJV uses that word bad of course. But ASV puts it as um, the wife of Christ. But they literally mean the same thing. But for the sake of um, precision of words, let me check KJV. Okay, I think KJV uses the same word. So, the word wife also connotes the bride of Christ or the wife of Christ is the same thing. All right. Now, when you look at this scripture, Revelation chapter 19 from verse 7 to 9, you discover that in verse 8, he says that, um, that to her was granted that she should be arrayed, verse 8, she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Are you not saying that? That all of us are saints, we, we are all of us are the wife of Christ. All of us, we are the bride of Christ. And one key thing you must understand about this metaphor of the wife of Christ or bride of, of Christ is it connotes intimacy and it connotes consecration. So, the church of the living God as the bride of Christ connotes that the church enjoys or must have a, a deep level of intimacy with Christ and a deep level of purity and consecration 
Hallelujah. So we all as believers, we all as saints, must live consecrated lives. Do, do you not know that all of us we are the bride of Christ? We are the bride of Christ. And, and this, is how it, this is what it means. When somebody is your wife, you expect loyalty. You expect faithfulness from her. You expect consecration. Nobody, nobody wants to marry. And this is also, of course, is in both parts. Nobody wants to marry a girl who likes 10 boys at the same time. Be careful of girls that like different boys. and Don't marry them. That's an unfaithful woman. You are supposed to, because being the bride of Christ connotes consecration. It connotes that you are living for just one person. Your attention, your focus is just for that one person. And when you bring that into this metaphor, it is simply saying that we are the bride of Christ. To us has been given to be clothed with righteousness, clothed with consecration, purity. We exist for Christ alone. We live for Him alone. We enjoy intimacy with Him. Because there's a level of intimacy that only um, couples can enjoy. Alright? There's a level, for example, when, when you see scripture, in the Old Testament, they say, and Adam knew his wife. They are talking about sex, actually. But they use that word because of the level of intimacy that existed between Adam and Eve. Or they will say something like, as also person knew his wife and all of those things. I get what I'm saying. Why? Because of that level of intimacy. I get what I'm saying. So there's a level of intimacy that exists between the church and Christ. When Paul was describing marriage, saying, husband, love your wives, wives submit to your husband, he said, actually, I'm only showing you a mystery. I'm not just talking about marriage, ethnic marriage. I'm, I'm showing you a mystery. And it's a mystery between Christ and the church. Because the church is the wife of Christ. Christ is the husband of the church. And the marriage supper of the Lamb is talking about, you know, should I go into that? He's talking about um, when Christ comes again and the church the rapture basically, you know, when the church is being raptured at the second coming of Christ, that is when the marriage supper of the Lamb begins to take place. According to many theologians, that's when it, it takes place. And so, purity, consecration, intimacy is the language that is being communicated to us when the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. So it is wrong for us to be in church and we are bringing things that are alien to Christ into the church. And that's what we clamor. You don't sing, you don't bring worldly songs into the church. When you say things like that, people think you are trying to be, you know, you are trying to be super spiritual, you are trying to show the people. When we say in the church, we don't teach any other thing than, than the word of God. We don't come to church and teach 48 laws of power. We don't come to church and teach what um, what Napoleon Hill is talking about. We don't come to church and teach what James Allen is talking about. We don't come to church and teach things that are alien to the ideologies of Christ. When we do that, we are we are we are being infidels. When we do that, that is infidelity. Hallelujah! Because the difference between a wife and an harlot is faithfulness, is consecration. A wife knows that no man can sleep with her except her husband. A wife knows that nobody deserves a devotion and submission like her husband. But a Allah does not care. A Allah can be sleeping with ten men at the same time. Who cares? 
But the church is not like that. So we don't bring alien things into the church in the name of you know, the 21st century. We have to understand that the church is the bride of Christ. And because we are the bride of Christ, we must be clothed with righteousness, with purity, with absolute consecration to Him. So that the idea that the depth of the meaning of the word bride of Christ is connotes intimacy, the intimacy between Christ and the church, and the consecration between Christ and the church, just the same way Christ is as consecrated Himself for us by dying for us on the cross, setting Himself apart for us. In fact, the Bible says that He lives forever making intercession for us. In the same vein, we also as his bride must be devoted to him, must be consecrated to him. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Number five, another metaphor for the church of God in scripture is God's temple and building. So when you come across the temple of God in building, um, the, the temple of God in scripture, and the building of God in scripture, you're talking about the church of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 to 22, and 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Hallelujah. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, 21. It says, let me, let me read from verse 20. It says, and I built... Let me for verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and, and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I'm going to touch this next week, this issue about foundation of the apostles and prophets and Christ being the chief cornerstone. I'll explain it next week. All right. 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together Great unto an holy temple in the Lord. So he's describing the church. 22. He says, In whom we also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So he's talking about the church here. He's saying that the church is the building of God. The church is the temple of God. In whom all the building fitly framed together. Great unto an holy temple in the Lord. So what makes the church a temple and a building of God is that God resides God, God inhabits us through the Spirit. For example, when we gather as believers, because that's church, when we gather as believers as a church, we don't have to cry and pray that God should come. It doesn't make any sense. Because Jesus gave a word, he said, there are two or three are gathered in my name. I am right there in their midst. So whenever we gather, God is there. Because the church is the building of God. And like I told you when we started, the church is the people. So when the people, the church gather, God shows up. So God, so when we gather for a meeting, God is there because we are there. So when I go to minister in different places, I like to tell them, I say, in case you are here and you are confused about if God is here, I want to assure you that God is here because me, I'm here. And he's also here because you are here. And of course, some of them will think maybe I'm trying to be proud. No, I'm not being proud. I came here with God. You also came here with God. So we don't have to pray and say, God, show up in our meal. Please, God, come to move. We're not praying for him to come. We are his habitation. As a people, we are his temple. Of course, there's a, there's a, a doctrine of the fact that as individuals, we are the temple of God. But you see, in this scripture, we are being built. All right? We are the building of God. His holy temple. 
so that God can habit us. We are his habitation through the Spirit. So actually, what makes God move in a meeting is our consciousness of the fact that when we came, God came. When we gathered, God came. Our presence is the presence of God in a place. So we don't have to try and pray and say, God, please come to this meeting, bless us. No. The degree to which the blessings and the power of God will flow in a meeting is dependent on how the people are conscious of the fact that as we have gathered, God is here. So it is our gathering that sanctifies a place. For example, if you, you know, Fela Shrine in Lagos, Ikeja, they do a lot of stuff there that are unholy, all right? If a church buys that place, if a church buys that place, they don't need to anoint the place with oil and do 21 days fast. No, just buy the place. They decorate the place at the church, put the people there and gather there on Sunday. <laughs> Immediately you gather there on Sunday, this, all the demons. In fact, the day you bought, the day you bought that place with your money and say, you want to, the demons are already going because they know that church is coming here. The presence of God is going to be here. So when they gather there on Sunday, don't forget it was the last shrine on Monday. But on Sunday, the church has gathered. Because the church gathered, that place becomes the habitation of God's presence. Why? Because the people of God are there. Are you getting what I'm saying? So this will help us understand. So when you are going to church on a Sunday, for instance, to fellowship with other brethren, to fellowship with the church of God, you understand that you are going to the presence of God. And so when you are going through tough times, you don't say, okay, I won't go to church today. I'm feeling down, I'm feeling bad. No, it is the presence of God you should go to. It is where God is that you should go to. Are you getting what I'm saying? So the church is also metaphorically described as God's temple and as God's building. Look at another scripture that explains that 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9. It says, For we are laborers with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Are you seeing that, that we are God's building? 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. He's talking to the church in Corinth. A 10, he says, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. You see, the word foundation comes again here. And another builded thereon. But let every man take it how he builded thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that, than that is laid, than that that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, a stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And, you know, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Verse 14. If any man's work abide which he had built upon, he shall receive a reward. 15. If any man's work shall be born, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So he's talking in the, in the context of the church. Don't forget that context. So when you say, I'm the temple of God, you are, you are not wrong, but actually, you are not only, you can't be the temple of God. The temple of God is the people. And that people is the church of God. So, 17 says, if any man defy the temple of God, if shall God destroy, for the temple of God is only which temple ye has. So he's talking to a church, not to individuals. 
He's talking to a church. I say, you guys are the temple of God. God dwells in you. The spirit of God dwells in you. So the foundation of this building called church is Christ. Christ is both the foundation and the master builder. Don't forget Matthew 16 verse 18 says, I will build my church. So Christ has made himself both the foundation and the master builder. But he's not the, but right now Christ is using men to build the church. And what does he mean to build the church? To teach men. You see, let me quickly start this scripture. When we talk about building the church, we are talking about building men. You know, I told you that the church refers to people. So, for example, as we do Bible study on Tuesdays, in gathering every last Saturday, and different other meetings, what, what, what are we doing? We are building you. We are building because you are the church. So, we are building you. And don't forget, Paul now says that every man must be careful how we build, what material he builds with. Let me explain what he's trying to say. As a minister of God, on the last day, your success is that God will check the people you have built. It is the people you have built that determines if you are a successful builder. So when Paul says in scripture to the church and says, you are my crown, you are my joy. Before God, you are going to be our crown. And I dare to say to you guys that you are my crown, you are my joy. You see, if you are a minister of God listening to me, understand what success in ministry is. Success in ministry is not... It's not many things. It's not fat on Aurelians. Those things, you know, will come, you know, by the blessings of God. Success in ministry is not many things. Success in ministry is the people you have raised. The kind of people. So in case you're a pastor and you, 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 you were successfully raised materialistic Christians, carnal Christians, eh, judgment is waiting for you at the judgment seat of Christ. Because it's the people that God will tell us, look at the people you raised. Out of 10,000 people that were under you, only two actually became mature. The, the, the rest are materialistic. So, you see that now? That's what Paul was describing. The fire will test your work. They will test. They will test your work as a... If you are preaching, if you are into ministry, you know, listen to me. I want you to understand that the people you are pastoring, the people you are teaching, alright, are, 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 are going to be the measurement of your success. So you have to be careful how you are building, with what materials you are building it. Let me not, let me not flog that too much. So, invariably, we are building. And we are building you to a point so that you can host more of God. You, God can find expression in our midst. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let me not flog that because of time. Six, the church of God is also described as a royal priesthood. And a holy nation and a peculiar people. I'm sure you know the scripture already. First Peter chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. So the church is God's priesthood on head. The church is God's royalty on head. Bible says He hath made us kings and priests unto our God, and we shall reign on, on head. Are you with me? So the church is God's priesthood on head. The church is God's royalty on head. And what's the essence for being God's priest? And being God's kings, it is to the end that we are able to reveal him. Because First Peter 2 verse 9 says that we should show forth his praises. Show forth his praises is not saying host praise concert. That you are hosting praise concert and worship meeting doesn't mean you are showing forth. No. Showing forth his praises means revealing God. Are you with me? Showing forth his praises means you are doing good works. 
You are revealing God. You are revealing Christ to your generation. And so the church was meant to reveal God. The church was meant to be God's royal priesthood and God's, you know, people upon the upon the earth who are going to reveal Him. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So when you see, so what Paul, Peter was describing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, he was describing the church. He says the church is God's royal priesthood. The church is God's peculiar people. The church is God's holy nation. And that church, those people, are the ones that have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light so that by being in his light, they can show forth his light. They can show forth his praises. They can reveal him to their world. Hallelujah. So lastly for tonight, I want to show you why God instituted the church. Because you see, when the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse will be inevitable. Hallelujah. When the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse will be inevitable. So why did God enact the church? Number one is because God seeks those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verse 24. We know that scripture already because of time. Because I'm going to finish quite early. John chapter 4, verse 24. It says that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then now says, For God seeks those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so, because God is seeking those that will worship him in spirit and in truth, God has to institute the church. Only the church can worship God in spirit and in truth. And these three things, I'm going, because there are three, I have three reasons why God created the why God instituted the church here. And these three things are going to be what I'm going to be emphasizing for the next two or three weeks. I'm going to be taking them one after week by week. So I'm just going to give an overview tonight, alright? So the first is because God seeks those that will worship Him. God seeks true worshippers. And you see, you can't worship God if you are not part of the church. You have got to be part of the church to be able to worship God in spirit and the truth. Only the church of God can worship Him. And when we say worship, we are not talking about singing worship songs. When we talk about worship, we are talking about serving God. We are talking about obeying God. We are talking about living for God. We are talking about fellowshipping with God. We are talking about knowing God. Because the first time worship was mentioned in scripture, had nothing to do with songs. When Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, he told his servant, he said, you stay here while me and the lad goes goes to go further to worship. Abraham Abraham and Isaac were not going there to play guitar and sing ill song songs. No, that's not what that. They were going there to, Abraham was going there with intent to sacrifice. Was going there based on obedience. So God wants a people that will obey him. God wants a people that will follow, that will do his will. That's what it means to worship. So God wanted a people for himself, a people that will serve him, a people that will do his will. So listen guys, if you're a member of the body of Christ, a member of the church, you have been called out so you can do God's will. In doing God's will, you are worshipping God. That is worship. So that means no other race, no other people can worship God apart from the church. 
And so it is a thing of concern when the church that is supposed to be worshipping God, serving God, obeying God, following God, doing God's will, are the ones now not doing His will. So the essence of church, listen guys, we have to understand why church. Look, let me explain this to you. If you want to join a local assembly, you want to really pay attention to things I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to be sharing for the next few minutes. You want to join a local assembly, you want to pay attention to this. And if you are going to start a church, you also will, because people start church for different reasons. People start church today as a business enterprise. People start church today as, you know, as a platform for fame. You know, people start church today because they just want to create an empire for themselves. That's the wrong way. When you are starting a church, you are starting a church, for instance, because you want to raise a people that will worship God. You want to raise a people that will do His will. You want to raise a people that will obey. That will obey the Lord. That's why God, that's one of the reasons, the major reasons why. You know, Jesus told the woman, He said, God is seeking. Do you know what that would be for God to be seeking something? God is seeking for true worshippers. Don't forget, the Jews were sacrificing. The Samaritans too were sacrificing. Everybody was sacrificing. But in the midst of their sacrifice and worship, in quote, God was saying, I'm looking for true worshippers. And that's why Paul began to say in the book of Philippians, I think chapter 1 verse 9, that we are the circumcision that worships God in the spirit and have no confidence in the flesh. What does it mean to worship God in the spirit? It means that by the spirit we obey God. By the spirit we do His will. In the energy, in the fellowship of the spirit, in the grace of the spirit, we do His will. That's what he's saying. We are the people actually that can please God. So when God looks, let me tell you something. All that God sees in this world is the church. If God is preserving Nigeria, it's because of the church. Because only the church can please God. So we must take our place. We must understand these things. So if you are going to join a church, you want to ask yourself a question. Are they particular about raising people that will do God's will? Don't go and join a church because they say they are giving people babies there. If you go to that church, you will see husband. If you go to that church, you will get a job. If you go to that church, I'm not saying those things are wrong, but that's not the reason why God created the church. The church was so that God can have a people upon the earth. God can have his own race upon the earth who will do his will. Because before, true from the Old Testament, to, you know, from Old Testament times, you know, before the church began, all that God adds in a generation would be one person that would do his will. For example, God would say, I have found David who will do all my will. So God was looking in the old generation. All he could find was one man, David. There was a time in, 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 in the world that all that, all, the, all that God could find was Noah. Noah was the only one that could walk with God, that could worship God, that could please God, that could serve God and do his will. And those things, God, listen, God wasn't happy with that. All that God had at the time was Enoch, was Enoch, sorry, was Enoch. All that God had at the, at the time was Abraham. But now, God has a people. Glory to God. God has a people. He has you and I. There are thousands of people, billions of people across the nations of the earth who are doing God's will. And that's why God created a church for worship, to serve Him, to do His will upon the earth. Hallelujah. Number two. I think, yes, we've read the scripture I wanted us to read. Number two, reason why God created the church 
is to give believers edification and community. To give his children education and community. Um, I explained this briefly before. So let's open to Ephesians chapter 4. Are we getting blessed tonight? I want you to to let everything that we are going to be teaching in this series to sink into your heart. And um, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 to 13. It says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the saints. 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in which they see. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplied, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the defined of itself in love. So, what the scripture is talking about is that um, God had given to the church ministry gifts. And we're going to talk about that subsequently. You know, I told you that all these three things I'm going to be sharing in this last phase about the purpose of the church, I'm going to split them into proper study in the following weeks. All right. So that we all can have um, an in-depth understanding of the purpose of the church. All right. So God gave the church for edification and for community. You see, just imagine that God didn't institute the church and all of us just got born again. Number one, I won't be ministering to you. We won't be ministering to ourselves. A lot of things would have gone wrong. In fact, it would be very difficult for anybody to grow spiritually without the church. So God instituted the church so that his children can have community. You know, let's put it this way. Let me give you an illustration. Just imagine that you you and your you you, you get married and then you start having kids. Then you carry one of your kids, you put him in a canoe. You see that now? The other one you put him in UK. The next one. You went to go and put him in emo state. Then you, as your husband, you are in US, and your wife is in <laughs> your wife is in Brazil, for instance. So all your kids are scattered abroad. You yourself, you are scattered. You are scattered. How will your children know you? Number one, how will your children enjoy the blessings of family? You see that now. So for the sake of togetherness for the sake of intimacy for the sake of the proper training of your children you want to keep all of them in the in the house at least till they grow up and mature right so when you start having your own kids you want to put them in the house you don't want them to be staying somewhere else you want them to be under your roof so they can know you so you can raise them so you can train them that is the same way god that's the same reason why god instituted the church so that number one, when you get born again as a believer, you can know him. And number two, he can train you. Because I told you, God cannot feed you. God cannot train you outside of the system of church. Outside of the community of church. And listen, you need your brothers to survive. 
You need your brother. So that's why God created the church so that every believer can survive on the strength of another. When you look at Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says, And they broke bread from house to house. They were fellowshipping. They were enjoying intimacy. They were meeting in somebody's house and break bread. You know, breaking bread there could also mean they were sharing meals together. And it also means they were doing the communion. All right? They were, you know, uh, have proven that those two things were happening concurrently. They were breaking bread, eating together, and they were also, um, you know, doing communion, right? You know, they were praying together, studying together, they were growing, because you need a community to grow. Community is basically for edification, basically for safety. As a sheep, when you are in the flock, you are more secured and safe and more properly nourished than if you are outside of the flock. Have you ever seen a shepherd leading one sheep? Shepherd leads flock. No shepherd. If you, if I don't think I've ever seen a shepherd lead one, lead just one sheep. So that's why it's wrong for you to think that you can know God, you can experience God outside of the communal life of church system. You see what I'm saying? You can't be edified outside of the church because all the investments of God are are made for, are provided within the confines of community, believers' community. I get what I'm saying. So if you really want to grow, you have to be part of the Christian community. You have to be rooted there so you can flourish, so you can grow. Last month when we talked about being rooted in Christ, I described it as, you know, if you're not rooted in the house of God, you can't flourish. Because I'm saying, they that be planted in the house of our God, they shall flourish. So you can't flourish if you are not planted, if you are not rooted, if you don't stay in the community so you can be fed. So you can be nourished. So you can grow. So the church has been instituted for the purpose of edification and for safety and communal life. Lastly, the reason why church, God created the church or instituted the church was so that Christ can be witnessed and God can be revealed. So that Christ can be witnessed and so that God can be revealed. When you read Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus told the disciples, He said, Go into the world and make disciples of all men. When you read Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He says, You shall be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and all of that. So the reason for the church is so that Christ can be witnessed and so that God can be revealed. The church is the only entity that can reveal God upon the earth. And I'm going to look at all these things, you know, we'll look at them in depth. So the church has been created to reveal God. The church has been created to witness Christ, to evangelize to evangelize the world. So when a church is not focused on preaching and teaching the gospel, when the church, a church, a local assembly is not focused on revealing God, then that church is not fulfilling its purpose. So God wanted a people that reveal. God wanted a people that will evangelize, that will spread the truth abroad. So these are the basic reasons for the church. So the church is not a place you know, it's not a social club. It's not a social club. The church is not, is not, um, is not some, some occultic group. 
These are the purposes for the church. Number one, God wants to be worshipped. God wanted to worship us, so he instituted a church. Only the church can worship God. Number two, you know, that's why it's very, you know, even now singing, it shows that we don't even understand some of these things, you know. When you go to some churches and local assemblies and you are importing, you know, carnal songs, importing, you know, secular songs to worship God. You know what that means? It doesn't, it's like you are replacing, the way Papa Egan uh, um, puts it, it's like you are replacing gold with bronze. They look alike, but they are not the same. When we lift up our hands in church and worship God, we are lifting up our hands with the understanding that we are God's special people. We are the only ones that can worship Him. We are the only ones that can sing a joyful song to Him. We are the only ones that can praise Him. We are the only ones that can do His will. When God wants to, you know, when of us will say funny things, when God wants to do His will upon the earth, He only looks into the church. Only the church can do God's will. Hallelujah. Only the church can do God's will upon the earth. No other entity, no other organization can do God's will upon the earth. No nation can do God's will upon the earth apart from the church. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless our heart in Jesus' name. I want us to thank and praise God for tonight. For making us a member of the church. For making you a member of the church. For giving you the spirit and making you a member of his body. Thank him. Give him praise. Bless his holy name. Oh, Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for making me part of your church. Thank you for making me part of your church. I give you praise. For in Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. So, tonight, I've been able to establish you things about the church of the living God, what the church of God is, the different metaphorical descriptions of the church in the scripture, so that when you come across the scripture anytime, you simply understand what the Bible is talking about. And these different metaphors are giving you a meaning. They have a special meaning. The meaning of the church being the bride of Christ, the meaning it gives you, is different from the meaning the church being the body of Christ gives you. The meaning of the church being the household of God or the family of God gives you is different from the meaning the church being the temple of God gives you. So we all have to understand it, this different meaning so that we can come to the holistic understanding of what the church truly is. And then I shared with you how that um, God instituted the church on the premise of three basic purposes. Number one, for the worship of God. And I described worship of God as doing God's will, serving God, working with God, fellowship with God, and knowing God. And only the church can do that. Only the church can satisfy God's hunger and craving for true worship. And number two, the church has been served for edification and for the communal life of believers. So as a believer, you are expected to be part of that church, to be part of the church, to be edified and to enjoy community. Hallelujah. And lastly, the church has been instituted by Christ Jesus, by the blood of Jesus Christ, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ for the purpose of revealing God upon the earth and for the purpose of witnessing Christ. And so next week, I'll begin to take this things one by one. You know, when I was doing the analysis today, we have quite a number of things to talk about. Unity of faith, ministry gifts, self-ministry, the dominion mandate, tithes and offerings, givings in the church, you know, in marriage and all of that. Because 
you also have to understand that within the confines of the church, there's a, there's a, um, a provision for marriage. You can't marry anybody who is not part of the church. You know, it is only in church that you can marry your sister and marry your brother. So when the other day, Mr. Chinwo's husband said, you know, she's like a sister to me, and the turned viral. He was speaking from understanding, even though you. <laughs> so that's the way it works, anyways. So. May the Lord help us in Jesus' name. So when I tell you somebody is my sister, and then I get married to that person, don't be angry with me and say, I lied. I didn't lie. If I say somebody is my little sister, and I get married to the person, anytime I send you I will. Don't be angry with me. Don't say, ah, so you are pretending. It's not pretense now. It's, it's, like, we are all in the same family of God. <laughs> so God will help us in Jesus' name. We'll talk about all of those things, and we'll do an in-depth study so that um, you can know how to behave yourself in the house of God. Paul told Timothy and said, you have to teach the people how to behave themselves in the house of God. Behave themselves you know, would mean that they have to understand what the church of God is. They have to discern the body properly. You know, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and said, many of you are sick. Many of you die because you don't discern the body. And that's the problem. Many people have fallen into errors, missed it in life because they don't discern the body. On the last note, I want to share this on why you must discern the body. You know, one of my mentors was preaching one day and he was talking about how he was close to making the biggest mistake of his life. And then, you know, he was going to travel out of the country. It was not the will of God, but of course, he wanted to Japan and then, and earn some, some good things, some, he wanted to have a good life. And so he was just talking to a brother who told him, I had a vision and so, so, so. And that vision was what saved him. That discussion was what saved him from making the biggest mistake of his life. So I'm saying all of that to say, if you don't discern the body, if you don't learn the things that I'll be teaching for the next few weeks, you may struggle in your Christian life and you may make terrible mistakes because you'll be thinking that everything you need to know about your life, God will come and tell you in your bedroom. Whereas there are many things, in fact, 90% of the things that God will tell you, 90% of the leaders of the Spirit are going to be in the confines and the, in the, in the confines of church and in the provisions of God made available for you in church. Personally, I don't do anything. Even if God spoke to me, I won't do anything unless at least I have a brother or two brothers to confirm it. It's just my own principle. I will not do, even God knows, I won't do anything, even if he comes to my room and tells me. At least, there must be one person at least, everybody cannot be in hero. At least one person must be able to confirm. And that should be a principle for you if you really, if you really want to go far with God and want to go far in life. Rest upon the provisions of God that are in the body of Christ, that are in the church. Right? Don't miss Bible study in your church. Don't miss church services. You know, be part of your church. Be part of your Christian community. If you are in the inside, be part of what God is doing. Don't be, don't just be thinking you are wise and then just no. be part of what God, be part of a Christian community. Be part of it. God's provision for your blessing, for your lifting, for your dedication is in Christian communities like this. Right. And God will help you in Jesus' name. Have a wonderful day.